This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Kelly Smith, CFO of Replacements Limited, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 260. How is a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we feature three finance leaders with very different career backgrounds that are today advancing down the entrepreneurial path. I think all three of these CFOs were rather thoughtful when we asked them to reflect on the path they've chosen. They obviously have asked themselves this very question before, so I think you'll find they share a self-awareness in common which really allows their comments to be all the more interesting. You'll hear from our first CFO after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Our first finance leader is Suk Shah. Now, Suk was the CFO of Commercial Banking North America for HSBC. But prior to HSBC, he was the vice president of FP&A at GE Capital. So two quite large enterprises And then he jumps to Avant, which is a fintech startup uh, that is today an online provider of consumer loans. We begin by asking Souk about the transition from large enterprise to an entrepreneurial environment. Yeah, no, it was definitely a lot more entrepreneurial. I mean, when I was at HSBC, you know, the company had over 300,000 employees. My division specifically had over 3,500 people in the U.S., uh, Canada, and Bermuda. And when I came to Avant, we were a team of 85. Um, you know, we were just getting started and, uh, you know, there was definitely a dichotomy between established governance, established processes, a very strict and standard way of doing things versus speed, um, execution, the ability to be nimble, change things, um, you know, or, or make decisions quickly and efficiently and react. And so that was the key difference, you know, for me. And and coming from a culture like GE where they did that really well, both from a flexibility and entrepreneurial standpoint, but still having strong, good processes allowed me to flex up and flex down to build the right infrastructure, create the right level of controls and compliance, but at the same time take advantage of, 
a pretty new industry take advantage of, you know, obviously internally having the ability to be nimble to make really, you know, really good decisions very quickly. So that was the big difference. I think the other thing is, you know, in the startup economy, um, you know, I was probably at Avant, you know, one of the oldest guys here, whereas, you know, we had very good, young, up-and-coming, uh, you know, investment bankers, software developers, you know, really people that were looking for change, um, whereas, you know, in established institutions, you have, you know, great individuals, but rocks, you know, people that have been there for 15, 20, and 25 years. So definitely a lot to get used to, um, but a very fun, energetic, and exciting transition, uh, you know, particularly for me as more and more regular regulation, more and more, uh, you know, bureaucracy kind of came down on those larger institutions, if you will. And not that either one is bad or good. They're just different. And for me, where I was in my career, it was a really fun change. So was it always part of the plan to take an entrepreneurial leap? Um, look, I mean, I think the answer, Jack, to your, to your question is, you know, I, I started like all of us did kind of out of school really looking for a challenge and wanting to do something that um, was fun. It was exciting and it was different. And, you know, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, what do I want to be when you grow up or when I grow up? The answer is, I don't know. And if you answer, if you ask me that question right now, Hey, Suk, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm 35, I still think the answer is, I don't know. And for me, it wasn't because I necessarily had an entrepreneurial spirit. It wasn't because necessarily, you know, I wanted to distance myself from one place or another. It was really, you know, like all of us do, you know, we have a professional life and a social or personal life. And in my professional career, um, I've always wanted to challenge. I've always wanted to do something different. And I always wanted to be part of something that I believed in. And, um, you know, when I saw an opportunity to come to Avant or HSBC, you know, I saw all that. And, um, you know, good or bad, I mean, that, that's just how I've always been, right? And that doesn't mean I'm leaving Avant tomorrow. But, you know, I think we're always living life for one goal in mind, which is, you know, you got to do what makes you happy and you got to do what challenges you. And, you know, for me, this was the path. Our next finance leader is Robbie Spreckman, CFO of Retro Fitness and Fierce Brands. Spreckman today views himself as a seasoned entrepreneur. But as he recalls for us, things may have been different. Well, I had a very interesting start. Um, I came out of college and started out at a public accounting firm in New Jersey. And after a year of uh, doing uh, very, very well at what I was doing, in my mind, um, I was thinking about leaving and switching to a much bigger firm. And as a consequence or a penalty of my deciding to leave and giving notice, the uh, accounting firm sent me out to a uh, an area in Queens that was practically a war zone to a client that they had a lot of problems with. And I was there to do an audit and find out about if their CFO was doing something wrong. And after being there for a week, I uncovered a lot of problems and 
a, a huge amount of problems. And I found myself being asked at the end of the week to come and meet the two owners after work on Friday night after my week was up. And they were asking funny questions about what I was doing and where I was going. And I told them that I was leaving within another week and moving to another firm. And out of nowhere, they said, we've watched you for a week. We think you can help us take over as the CFO. And I said, uh, I'm only a year out of college, guys. I'm cocky and good and think I'm awesome, but this is a little much. And they said, hey, you're making a mistake. You can grow with us, and you should think about it. It's Friday night. Call me on Sunday. You need to start Monday morning. And I laughed, and I said, I have to go home and talk to my parents. I still lived at home. And I got home, and I didn't know what to do. They were going to give me, obviously, a lot more money and a lot more freedom. And uh, thought about it, and Monday morning I started with them. I ended up being there for 22 years. Uh, ran their company, grew it from a $7 million export of used clothing and retail of used clothing in New York City. We got it up to $21 million, had over 300 employees. So during my tenure there, I learned an awful lot, and I was able to, um, to really grow um, into the CFO role and learn an awful lot about money and business and negotiations. When I walked in the door, they, were, they owed a million dollars to the IRS and the state in taxes. My, my predecessor hadn't paid anything, and they used the money to open up new locations. So, you know, literally my first job was to negotiate with the IRS and get a million dollars worth of penalties abated. Um, so that was, it was trial by fire. And then I learned how to deal with vendors who were owed a lot of money and we didn't have the money to pay them right away. So, um, the, one of the owners sat me down and said, this is how you deal with people. You talk to them. You don't avoid their calls. You tell them the truth. You offer them deals and you know, we have to hold up to the deal you make. And that was great advice. And, and it got me a very long way. And along the way, we went into other businesses, real estate. We we actually, uh, one of the partner's sons started a franchise. So I got to work as the CFO of a startup on a franchise company um, that did uh, hypnosis for weight loss, weight loss and uh, smoke cessation. And that was uh, an amazing business. We started at $150,000 in sales, and the next year we got it up to $7 million. So uh, I was really lucky. I got into a great situation, and uh, I was able to really flourish there and learn an awful lot. <laughs> i got to say, that's one of the best stories we've had. Crazy, um, huh? It's unbelievably yeah, it's crazy. Story. You're such a young man at the time as well, though. Did you continue to enhance your technical knowledge? How did you learn? Did you reach out to, to mentors, or how did you augment along the way and clearly the owners might have been mentors for you but i would imagine you needed um you know some finance mentors as well well i'll tell you to be honest you know the the amount of accounting and the financial uh, knowledge that you really need um you know to really just basically handle the books to be able to hand them off to a tax professional you don't have to you know, be a CPA and be wonderful and end all be all. I don't need, I didn't need to file tax returns. So I just needed how to set up the books properly. I mean, um, this is ancient stuff. I mean, I bought the first computer they ever had. We were using, you know, the, we had the first fax machine ever. We were using teletypes to do business overseas. So I really was able to lean on, yeah, I was able to lean on a couple different mentors, some of my, my friends at the CPA firm when I was jammed up. Um, one of the owners was an amazing businessman. 
and just ridiculously smart. So I just tried to listen, soak up how he negotiated what he did. I mean, in my opinion, you know, he was, it was almost smoke and mirrors. I mean, he was selling a, a used garment to Macy's and Bloom, Bloomingdale's and, and I couldn't believe how he did it and how well he did it. So um, he was a really, he was a pretty good mentor for on the business side. So fin- the finance side is once you set up a system, you know, that's the easy part. It kind of runs itself as long as you know what to look for. The harder part is, you know, trying to understand business, understand how to grow, understand what, what important key, you know, metrics and factors come into play in your business to keep your business around and grow. I was on that path to work for a big CPA firm, get my CPA, probably end up either you know sticking with them to the end or getting my own CPA practice. And, and what I thought, what I did instead was I really learned everything about you know uh, man, many different types of businesses. You know from the inside out and doing it every day was um, you know the accounting was just a side piece that just allowed me to you know validate what we were doing. So it was really, you know, an unbelievable education into uh, running companies, you know, running a business and, and understanding how to make it work. Our final CFO will share his entrepreneurial itch after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final CFO is Rob Bohorod, CFO of Uline's Ice Cream of Pennsylvania. Now, the Uline's brand is well known among brewers and beer drinkers today, but the story behind Uline's Ice Cream is one perhaps best told by its finance leader, who first reached out to the Uline family and one of the brothers who would together take on the challenge of reviving what was a defunct brand. Um, it, it really is a great a great story in a lot of ways. Um, I, I grew up in Pottsville, uh, only a few blocks from from both David, uh, whose family had the ice cream, as well as Dick Engling, whose family had the brewery, has the brewery, excuse me. And uh, so I, I grew up with it, remember it very well until they closed uh, the operations in 1985. Um, so for, for many, many years, I'd actually thought about relaunching. I'd worked in a lot of startups and early stage companies and turnarounds, and for years I thought about this. And I was out of the area and finally moved close enough um, a number of years ago where I, I actually just called David and said, could we get together? And I was several years older. I didn't know him quite as well, but we sat down and we, we talked about the relaunch. And at first, he was a little hesitant. He'd been heavily involved in the computer industry for a number of years. And um, but we talked about it and made up a plan. Just decided to really look into it carefully and made a list of things. Uh, and one of which was in even speaking with Dick Engling. And uh, so methodically, we went through our checklist. And at the end of that process, we looked at each other and, and thought this would really be a, a, not only a, a great idea, but a lot of fun uh, to uh, to pursue. So that's that's really how it all started. David likes to joke, just a real quick comment. Um, he said, if this works out, uh, it was his idea. And if it doesn't work out, it was mine. So. 
<laughs> and from the start, it was understood uh, you had more of the finance background. Can you, can you share a, a little more of your history with us regarding that? Sure, sure. And, and, and just, again, real, real quickly, when you mentioned the history, um, sorry, I should have mentioned this before, but uh, the company was started in 1920 during Prohibition, and uh, it split off into a separate company in 1935 with David's grandfather taking control, uh, and then it was under David's family's control since 1935. But as far as, far as our, our relationship and, our, and our, our conversations, we very quickly decided that David would be president, um, the face of the company and the name, and my role would be much more operational and finance, and, and that's how uh, we originally started. Um, I, I can I'll get into um, in a very quick way. Uh, we we had a consultant working with us early on named Bob Carlson, uh, who um, was instrumental in getting this off the ground. And that, that kind of gets to some uh, some other things we can talk about from a strategic standpoint. But um, Bob was just instrumental in 20, 30 years in the ice cream industry. Um, and he was really our third partner from the very beginning and eventually became a third partner as our chief operating officer uh, in June of 2014. What industries uh, did you have a background in? Uh, I worked in, in a number of industries and in, in a number of different roles, which was uh, kind of kind of interesting. Some people think, many people thought that was a fantastic uh, resume, and other people, if you're looking to work at, at Pepsi as a, in a very specific role, it was absolutely the worst resume to have. Uh, so I worked in um, uh, in technology, uh, in GPS, and uh, some some uh, high technology products. Um, I spent most of my time in the in the um, medical device and medical services industry. Uh, well, I don't have the traditional CTA type type background, but I uh, I was at Warden undergrad uh, for my uh, for my college days. Uh, I have an MBA from from Fordham University. And um, what really happened was with all these smaller smaller stage companies, earlier stage companies and smaller companies, um, I generally had more of the financial experience. So I sort of gravitated towards taking those over. Uh, but it was always a combination. It was, it was usually a combination of finance, uh, a lot of operations, and in some cases even on the HR side. Seems like ice cream products and beer somehow do uh, do somehow complement each other in some way. Maybe from a calorie, <laughs> a calorie <laughs> point of view. Don't know, but what can you? Is there uh, have ever brewers uh, ventured into ice cream? As far as you know, uh, I, I do, and I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the exact which breweries uh, specifically. But there are a number of breweries, and this goes back uh, really back to Prohibition. There are a number of breweries. Um, and there's so many back then when you think about it, but a lot of them had to, had to diversify, and Yingling was one of them. Now, they had the dairy, they had milk, they had ice cream. Um, Yingling's in particular, they also had other investments uh, in town as well as, uh, I think they are actually part owner of a, of a dance hall in New York City. So they really did diversify during that stage, um, during, during pro- Prohibition from the 1920s until 1933. So it was not uncommon to whether it was um, – uh, ice cream or whether it was soda or, or other products is not uncommon for, for a brewer to do that during that time period. Okay, three thoughtful CFOs with interesting career narratives and entrepreneurial ambitions. If you'd like to hear our complete interviews with each of these CFOs, you can find them on iTunes or Stitcher. When you're visiting, don't forget, subscribe. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, 
We're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply. Thank you.